The Falcons held their first training camp practice. We'll break down exactly what we'll be paying attention to as this summer unfolds. And we'll also take a deeper look into exactly what new defensive coordinator Ryan Nielsen is bringing to the table to turn this Falcons defense around. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black, and, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you that makes this illustrious podcast your first listen each and every day, following the footsteps of the everydayers by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So it is Wednesday, July 26th, and the Falcons had their first practice of training camp and stuff happened, right? And, you know, we're not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to give you guys a fair warning up front that over the coming days and weeks as training camp unfolds, we're not going to spend that much time giving you sort of the sort of typical daily updates on like who was good, who was bad in practice. Part of that is due to the fact that I'm here rather than in flowery branch to witness that. Now we'll offset that to the best of our abilities by having folks that are there on hand in flowery branch, witnessing training camp, talking about what they're seeing, including potentially on tomorrow's episode where we will be joined by, of course, the co-host of the ATL day ones podcast, Jarvis Davis uh, on tomorrow's episode. But that's also due to the fact that I don't think that's really what's important about training camp. I, I really do believe that training camp and preseason, all that stuff is really mostly about figuring out who are going to be the 53 guys that are going to make your team, who are going to be the 16 guys that make your practice squad. Now, maybe that's due to my bias as a you know self-described roster nerd, right? Um, but for me, at least... You know, when I look at this year's training camp and, and this year's Falcons roster, like I, I would look at it and say there's probably like 43 players that barring injury, right, assuming they can stay healthy, are pretty safe bets to make the roster locks or near locks or whatever. Uh, and basically something egregious would have to happen over the next you know five or so weeks uh, besides an injury for them to not make the roster. Right. And so that really only leaves about 10 roster spots up for grabs. And so. To me, it's it's mostly about the next five weeks is about figuring out who are going to be those 10 guys. Um, and certainly that's not going to be something that you're going to figure out just off of one day of practice on the first day of practice. It's really going to be about what progress all these players show over the next five weeks when we get to that final cut down in late August. And so it's rather than looking at a single data point from one day of practice, it's about looking at as many data points as you can to notice any trends, right, that occur over the next five or so weeks. And I'll use an example from today's practice, right? Today's practice, Calais Campbell, uh, due to him being on the non-football injury list, did not practice, right? Reportedly, Joe Gaziano got a lot of the first team reps with, you know, David Onyemata and Grady Jarrett, you know, sort of stepping in for Calais Campbell. That's not, that shouldn't be a surprise because at least on my depth chart, right? Joe Gaziano and Zach Harrison are the top backups for Calais Campbell. And given that Gaziano's the veteran, you know, Harrison's the rookie, you know, the, the, the tendency is the veteran, you know, gets the benefit of the doubt and the rookie has to earn his stripes, right? 
And let's imagine a scenario that's not very realistic based off of what we've heard about the extent of Calais Campbell's injury that it may, it's a minor issue, but let's imagine a scenario where Calais Campbell, you know, misses the next two weeks of practice, right? Um, again, hypothetical. Um, you know, when we get to that second week of practice, you know, it'll be worthwhile to pay attention to is Joe Gaziano still getting the bulk of the first team reps or has Zach Harrison started to eat away into those first team reps. And that will be a good indicator that Zach Harrison is trending in the right direction, right. And showing progress and the coaching staff wants to see him do more work and all the, the various things. Right. And so that to me is, is worthwhile noticing, or is Gaziano continuing to get those first team reps? And that may be a sign of Harrison may not be ready. It may also be a sign that Joe Gaziano is playing at a really high level. So the, again, more trends to notice. Now you can also imagine a scenario where Campbell, which is probably the more likely scenario where Campbell only misses a few days of practice and is back taking those first team reps, you know, early next week or whenever. And then you start paying attention. Okay. Who's getting the second team reps? Is it still Gaziano? Is it Zach Harrison? And so those are the trends that you tend to notice, but I think the tendency among a lot of folks that are on hand at training camp and it's understandable, no shade mint, but it's the kind of focus on like the individual reps and drills. It's like, oh, I saw Zach Harrison or I saw Joe Gaziano win X number of reps, right? And it's not to say that that stuff isn't meaningful or inconsequential, but it's mostly a single data point and probably not as meaningful as I think a lot of people tend to believe. Like a good example of this last summer was Derek Tangelo, who was an undrafted free agent at a Penn State that the Falcons picked up. And there was a lot of, you know, notes throughout the summer of like, oh, Derek Tangelo was, you know, winning a lot of reps. Um, but then when you get to the preseason games, like the thing I'm noticing is Derek Tangel's consistently working with the third string D line behind guys like Nick Thurman and Abdullah Anderson and, and Timmy Horn, another undrafted free agent. So that when we got to the end of that summer and, you know, I'm doing my 53 man roster projection, looking at other people's 53 man roster projections, other people putting Derek Tangelo on their 53 man roster projection, and I'm not putting him on mine. And, you know, that's due to this trend that if Derek Tangelo was trending towards making the roster, theoretically he should have been you know getting more second team reps in the preseason games rather than stuck being on the third string and Tangelo wound up sticking on the practice squad and then got hurt and then I think the Falcons moved on from him uh Timmy Horn did however make the 53-man roster we saw Abdullah Anderson make the practice squad initially but when the Falcons had to shuffle their roster in, in part due to the Anthony Rush's departure later on in the season you know it was Abdullah Anderson that got the the nod over a Derek Tangelo um, you know, on that 53-man roster. But if you had just been focusing on the day-to-day, -day, you know, who's who's impressing in training camp, you might have thought, you know, Derek Tangelo had a better camp than, say, an Abdullah Anderson because more people, you know, were tweeting and, and writing about Derek Tangelo because he was impressing on individual reps. So that's kind of what I'm getting at, where it's like, we don't tend to, we want to notice the trends, right? It's more about what happens over the next month as opposed to the day-to-day -day single data points, right? Another example would be, you know, people talking about Desmond Ritter and how many passes he completes, you know, people like Mike Rothstein of, of ESPN, you know, put that out there in, in their various daily training camp notes. And those are data points that are worth, you know, tracking, but it's really about the trends that you notice over time, right? You know, is he completing more passes? That was something that happened with Desmond Ritter last year, uh, last summer, where it was like, you know, as camp wore on, you saw more quote unquote good days than bad days as we got into August than you saw at least in late July. And so that was an indicator. Okay. Maybe Desmond Ritter's getting a little bit more comfortable and that's a more important trend to notice with Desmond Ritter rather than just a single day where, you know, he goes X of Y passing and has, you know, 
X touchdowns and red zone and Y touch interceptions and, and what a seven on seven, all that stuff and more. So those are what we're, we're trying to focus on, right? Basically my goal is to do the work for you so that, you know, I will do my job of noticing the trends over the course of the summer, right? Uh, that's basically what I'm, I'm trying to, to be here for is to locate those trends for you guys on this podcast, rather than focusing on a single data point. So We'll work on that. So I just want to give you a heads up if, if you were tuning in to basically get the breakdown of all the things that happen on Training Camp. There may be better podcasts for you if that's what you're looking for here on the podcast. But if you're looking for sort of the important trends that are going to determine, you know, what this roster looks like. And, and some of these trends may be predictive of what some of the things that we'll see in the regular season. You know, that's what I'm here to do for you. But, uh, you know, speaking of trends and, and talking about who's going to make the roster, I didn't do an official pre-camp training uh, 53-man roster projection uh, this this week, uh, basically because I did one in June, and I wouldn't change a whole lot. The only changes I would make to that one I did in June is basically I would probably have Michael Pruitt, who the Falcons signed yesterday, uh, over John Fitzpatrick as the fourth tight end on the roster, and probably I would also make the change of putting Ethan Greenidge. It was kind of a coin flip at that time between Ethan Greenidge and Jalen Mayfield to be the ninth offensive line. And I'm leaning more towards Greenwich in part due to the news that we heard today that Arthur Smith said, which is Jalen Mayfield is going to continue to get work at right tackle this training camp. And I've seen a lot of people say, you know, not only today and in the past that like they think this is going to benefit Jalen Mayfield. I think those people are wrong. And, I, and I'm going to explain exactly why I think those people are wrong as we continue today's episode and talk about why I think this is, in fact, a move that isn't designed to help Jalen Mayfield out, but it's just kind of like a desperate Hail Mary to try to get him to stick on the roster. But I, I don't think it's a well-intentioned Hail Mary, right? It, 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 you know, it's the it's analogous to throwing a Hail Mary, but rather than throwing it to the side of the field where you have, you know, three receivers ready to, to make that jump ball, you throw it to the side of the field where there's only one receiver and there's like three defensive backs. So it's like a, why throw it, why throw it to that side when, you know, <laughs> You, you get what I'm saying? So we'll break that down as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you about our partners over at eBay Motors who have teamed up with Locked on Fantasy host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each and every week all season long. And whether you're prepping for the draft or scouring the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players that are a guaranteed fit on your roster. So with draft prep underway for the upcoming season, let's see who Vinny has picked out for us for this week's eBay's guaranteed fit fantasy picks of the week and we are talking about that turn once more when it comes to the end of round one and the beginning of round two and why not double dip on a pair of workhorse running backs with colts running back jonathan taylor and browns running back nick chubb back to back taylor's due for a rebound season in a more run-friendly offense in indianapolis under shane steichen and chubb is set up to dominate one more time here in cleveland with the combined workload he is going to get. And with Vinny Iyer helping us out to help us win our fantasy championships this year, eBay Motors knows that championship teams 
is really about each player being a perfect fit. And the same is true for your vehicle with eBay guaranteed fit and over 122 million parts and accessories for your vehicle right at your fingertips. You can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Air filters, brakes, batteries, taillights, alternator shocks, struts, you name it, eBay Motors has it. And they'll make sure it's the right fit for your car because eBay guaranteed fit helps you understand exactly what part you need for your vehicle the first time. So go forth, switch gears, crank the AC, and say goodbye to sweating if your ride needs a little fixing up because now you know that you'll always be set up for success from the get-go. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, everything your vehicle is calling for is just a click away. For the parts and accessories that fit your vehicle, just look for the green check. Get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items owning only. Exclusions apply. So let's talk about the move of Jalen Mayfield back to right tackle. Right. And I know there's a lot of talk that that is his quote unquote more natural spot. I don't really buy that. Right. I, I feel like this move potentially hurts Jalen Mayfield. Um, although, you know, if you are part of Ethan Greenidge Hive or Justin Schaefer Hive, then you're, you're maybe happy uh, about this move. Right. Now, I know there's going to be people that disagree with me, but part of the reason why I'm going to say this with my chest, with the authority uh, that I'm going to say on today's episode is because. You know, for the everydayers that were back here in 2021, they know I've been pretty dead accurate on everything I've said about Jalen Mayfield up to this point. So, you know, I feel like I haven't led you guys wrong on that <laughs> subject up to now. And so I don't think I'm leaving you wrong here at this point in time. But, you know, basically what I said about him then was that he was going to be a, a big project, a long term project at left guard that was going to probably take the better part of three or four years before that project started to pay off. And part of the reason why I was down on the pick initially of Jalen Mayfield in round three of that 2021 draft was to me that timeline did not mesh with the timeline of the rest of the offense, especially with a veteran quarterback like Matt Ryan, who needed the offensive line to be fixed sooner versus later and waiting for Jalen Mayfield to start playing good football three plus years down the road wasn't going to solve that problem, right? And the other issue with Mayfield was I didn't think he had the ability to stick at tackle in the NFL because he lacked the athleticism to stay in front of the NFL caliber edge rushers that he faced at college at Michigan, right? That he faced guys like Chase Young and Jonathan Cooper and, and Chauncey Golston and Anthony Jennings. And he struggled against those guys mightily against those guys. And, you know, that kind of showed that first summer in 2021 where we did get to see Mayfield play some right tackle and he also struggled at that position and so this notion that like oh he's a better fit at right tackle isn't really backed up by any evidence other than just say saying well he played tackle in college so he must be a better tackle and it's like no that's not true right but you know there has been this narrative since his rookie season that all of his struggles are owed to making that position switch that if the Falcons had just stuck him at right tackle the entire time, he would have been fine or he would have been better off. Um, and while I, I certainly think the switch from positions hurt Jalen Mayfield, I don't think that's the main reason why he struggled. The main reason why he struggled is simply put his, his skill set isn't that great, right? Like the simplest way I can explain it is if you're going to play guard in the NFL or, or center as well anywhere on the interior it's really about your hand usage right and when you play tackle it's more about your feet again that's an oversimplification but just go with me on this one and the problem with mayfield was that his hands and his feet were not very good at michigan but and at least in theory you can coach up a guy's hands you can't really coach up a guy's feet 
at least in theory, because like basically you can either move well, you're either athletic or you're not. And there's that's not going to change a whole lot once you get to the NFL. Right. Um, and so what happened with Jalen Mayfield was because he had that certain skill set and then the position switch only exacerbated those problems because right like in order to make that switch to left guard he needed to get the maximum number of reps at that position all summer long in his rookie season in order to at least give him a chance of treading water at that position he was already a bad fit already a square peg at that position and you only exacerbated those issues by basically having him split his uh initial OTA and in, in training camp and preseason reps at left guard and right tackle Right. You know, he was already going to be overmatched from a, you know, a, a technical standpoint inside. But now moving him back to tackle means that in addition to the technical issues that he's going to face, he's also going to have much more physical issues playing the tackle position. Um, and not to mention, I think in a world where Jalen Mayfield gets cut and I, I feel like we're probably living in that world at this point, if the Falcons are serious about keeping that right tackle playing right tackle is not going to really help his chances of sticking on another NFL roster, right? That if he's going to stick on another NFL roster as a backup offensive tackle, you need to have left and right side versatility, right? You need to be able to be a swing tackle. And so unless the Falcons, in addition to playing Jalen Mayfield at right tackle this summer, they're also going to play him at left tackle this summer. He's not going to really add any value moving forward by just being a right tackle only, right? If we basically to learn over the course of the summer, and, and basically I'm wrong, and, and Jalen Mayfield actually does play better as a right tackle, but we basically say, well, he can only play right tackle. Like, that's not helping his NFL career moving forward because basically unless a team is going to hand him a starting right tackle spot, which at this point in time I think is very unlikely to happen, like, that doesn't provide a skill set, right? You've seen that with Jermaine Effetti, right? Jermaine Effetti, for years, when he was a starting right tackle, was able to stay in the league. He was a first-round pick. So the Seahawks handed him a starting right tackle spot. He didn't really progress there. Then the Bears were like, we'll try him at right guard. Maybe that will solve the problem. It didn't really work. And once he stopped being a starter, like we saw last year in Atlanta, and now the Falcons cut him, like not having that positional flexibility actually hurts his chances of making a roster. I saw various roster projections for the Lions who scooped up Jermaine Fetty after the Falcons cut him. I've seen no roster projections right now that have Jermaine Fetty making the roster for that reason. And so to me, the the idea going back to the original evaluation of Jalen Mayfield was, okay, it's going to take three years for him to figure out the guard position. And so now the two years of struggles that he's had at that left guard position should start to pay off theoretically, at least start to pay off now. And so keeping him at left guard to me makes way more sense than trying to salvage what you can by moving him to a position at right tackle that he is even more uniquely. Uh, he's, he's less, his skill set applies less to the right tackle position than it does at the left guard position. So to me, this is not a sign of the Falcons figuring it out of Jalen Mayfield. This is to me more a sign of, you know, the Falcons continuing to kind of completely mishandle the situation. I thought they did. So his rookie summer by moving him back and forth from left guard, to right tackle. And this just feels like more of that, but we'll see. We'll see. I, I would love to be proven wrong. I know some of you guys don't believe that, but you know, I, when I'm skeptical of a player, you know, or critical of a player as I often am, you know, when, when, when you prove me wrong, 
right? I'll become your biggest champion. So I would love to be able to come on this podcast later this summer and be like, you know what? You know who's actually been balling in, in practice and, and in preseason games is actually Jalen Mayfield. So I would love to have that happen, but I don't think it's going to happen. So I feel like this this news that came out today, that's what I talk about where it's like when we paying attention to what's happening in training camp, like this to me was the probably the one of the more important things to come out of day one. It's like, okay, they're going to keep him at right tackle. So to me, it's like, they're ruining his chances of making the roster, but we'll see. We'll see about that. But we'll wrap up today's episode talking about um, one of the biggest questions surrounding this team entering the season, and that is what exactly do they have with their new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen, and we'll get into that as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons. So this was a topic I was planning on discussing on yesterday's episode, uh, and I was talking about sort of my segue into the – that transition was let's talk about some of the bad takes that people have had over the years without going through all of that. Basically what I was going to do was talk about over the last five years, there's been a lot of sort of notion that people have had about like how the new defensive coordinator was going to solve all of the defensive problems Like the Falcons we know have had struggled on defense for many, many years and, you know, especially starting in 2019 with Dan Quinn sort of taking over from Marquand Manuel or Raheem Morris the following year, or Dean Pease the following year, we've heard a lot of notions of like this new DC is going to fix it. And we haven't really gotten that this offseason. And it's at least personally to me a breath of fresh air because I've always pushed back against this notion of, you know, the new DC is going to fix our problems because I'm like, is the pass rush fixed? Because unless the pass rush is fixed, it doesn't really matter what scheme you're running. Your defense isn't going to work if you can't pressure the quarterback. Um, and so like this year we're not getting that. And I think it's in part due to, you know, I would like to believe it's because people have finally learned the lesson, but I don't think that's true at all. Right. You know, uh, I, I might be more optimistic about the Falcons, but I'm still as pessimistic I am about human beings as I am. So, you know, people are, are just as dumb as, as they've always been. Uh, and if you see the changes on Twitter, then clearly the world's getting a little bit dumber, but that's just, that's neither here nor there. But I think a lot of it is due to the fact that Ryan Nielsen is an unproven track record, right? And why people aren't pushing this narrative like Ryan Nielsen's going to fix it. Like, I think, you know, the, the notion I've been pushing for years is that talent trumps scheme when it comes to defensive play calling. That defensive play calling is somewhat overrated, right? It doesn't mean that it's, it, it's, it doesn't matter, but it is one of those things where it's like, for the most part, you got to have the horses if you're going to play good defense rather than, you know, bad defense. And one of the things I did, or I was planning on doing during the senior bowl week when, after we initially hired Ryan Nielsen, I was doing a lot of research at that time, you know, to talk about sort of the knock on Nielsen at that time was his lack of experience as defensive coordinator. And I looked up, you know, in recent years, you know, new DCs and whether they had, whether there was a correlation between their ability to improve their defense based off of their experience or not. Right. Looking at guys that had very little to no experience as defensive coordinators and looking at guys that had, you know, decades worth of experience as defensive coordinators. And there wasn't really any sort of, you know, through line between that. It basically, the, what the research showed me was that if you basically, if you had a bottom 10 defense the year prior, you are very much more likely to have a bottom 10 defense regardless of who you hired as defensive coordinator. And the same was true if you, you had a top 10 defense. Again, reaffirming that sort of belief that I have that it's more about the talent than anything. And I didn't, I scrapped the article because basically the conclusion I would have come to, which is basically like, well, 
basically because Brian Nielsen is inheriting a bad defense, it's probably likely the Falcons will have a, another bad defense unless they go out there. And at that time, because it was before free agency, we didn't know who they were going to sign. So it was just basically like, we just have to wait till free agency to find out, you know, if this defense is going to make any serious strides. Um, but couldn't really definitively say that at that point in time. So I, I just kind of scrapped the article, but it's worthwhile bringing that back. And I, I think one of the reasons why I look at the Nielsen hire favorably, because I, you know, again, I'm pessimistic in certain things, but this is one of those areas where I'm trying to look at it from a glass half full perspective, where you can look at Nielsen's lack of experience and see it as a negative as like, well, he hasn't proven anything uh, and see the glass is half empty. But I look at it as, well, he, sure, he hasn't proven anything, but the sky is the limit in terms of what he could actually be. Because we, we saw just last year with a player like uh, with a coach like Ejiro Evero in Denver in his first year after having zero years of experience calling defenses at the collegiate and pro level, just like Ryan Nielsen, um, go on to be very successful in Denver to to the point that now he's expected to to basically be the savior of the Carolina Panthers defense this upcoming season. And like there's nothing telling us that Ryan Nielsen won't be able to do the exact same thing here in Atlanta. So that's where the glass half full perspective comes from. Now, we don't know a lot about what Nielsen schematically is going to do. And that's part of the reason why I'm, I'm personally excited because like I've been charting defense in 2019. And so I'm eager to see what he does. Di that's different from what we've done in the past. If he does some of the things that we've done in the past that have occasionally been successful on defense like there are, there aren't many instances of that but what we do know about Nielsen's defense is he wants to play with light boxes which probably means that we're going to play less cover three because one of the values of cover three is it allows you to put an extra safety in the box to help defend the run right and when that meshes with what the Saints have done over the last six years of the Dennis Allen where Nielsen has been an assistant is the Saints have been at the bottom of the league in terms of cover three usage relative to most NFL teams. And so that probably means we'll see a lot more sort of split safety, too high corridors sort of coverages. Uh, we'll also, the assumption is, okay, well, we're borrowing that from the Saints. Then we'll probably also borrow the usage of man coverage. Uh, so we'll utilize more man coverage where the tendency under Dean Pease at various points over the last two years was to play a lot more zone. So that is an expected change. You know, we're expected to play, continue with the hybrid fronts, but maybe we lean a little bit harder towards four, three fronts than three, four fronts, but you'll see plenty of both. So ultimately at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter all that much, given that most teams play hybrid fronts and, and play a little of both, uh, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, all that sort of stuff and more. Um, but I think one of the biggest things that's exciting about Ryan Nielsen is the notion that he's like this defensive line guru that you saw the the jump in play of several Saints players over the last six years since Nielsen arrived and how the Saints have been so successful as a pass rush over the last six years in 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 part of Nielsen and sort of the idea of that's something that we'll see moving forward here in Atlanta that we can see you know potentially pass rushers and defensive linemen putting their best foot forward moving forward and that's part of the reason going back to a conversation we had yesterday you know answering a listener question about should the Falcons invest more in their pass rush and it's like sure but like to me this is not the end basically the point I was trying to make on that episode is like this is like the beginning of of what is going to be many, many years of the Falcons investing in the pass rush. So to me, there's no rush 
in my humble opinion, for the Falcons to do all their investments this offseason to, to maximize their chances. This is just the beginning of what you, you'll see this team probably drafting and signing free agent defensive linemen every single offseason from, you know, hopefully here until eternity uh, to the point where it's like old hat and hold the hat where the Falcons have a good pass rush and, and watching and hoping to see that development and being able to believe that the Falcons will be able to develop pass rushers better than they have in the past. That was, you know, the thing with Dan Quinn, right? Dan Quinn made his name as a D line coach, then was a D coordinator. And so the expectation we had back then was like, Oh, Dan Quinn will be able to develop the Vic Beasley's and the Tack McKinley's and the Grady Jarrett's and all these guys. And that wasn't necessarily the case here. And so, you know, I can understand because of that previous experience, maybe people are a little bit more skeptical of Ryan Nielsen. But, you know, I, I'm going to take my word for it. I'm going to take Cam Jordan's word for it, I, I should say, which is, you know, Cam Jordan says nothing nice about the Atlanta Falcons. But if he's out here saying that this is a good hire for the Falcons and the Falcons got a great coach, like I'm going to I'm going to put more stock into that. Uh, although I'm sure you guys can dust off old quotes from like Michael Bennett and whoever else from Seattle uh, talking up Dan Quinn, but you know, fool me once, <laughs> whatever we'll, we'll see. So I'm, I'm excited to see what Ryan Nielsen brings to the table. I think, you know, in terms of like his scheme coming in and fixing the defense, the point earlier was like, I'm not expecting that, but it's going to be a question of does his scheme put players in a position to succeed? That's really what you want your defensive coordinator to do, right? If you have a great pass rusher, right? You want him to be in a position where he's, rushing the quarterback rather than dropping in the coverage, right? If if you have a guy that's really good in press coverage, you want him to be able to play press coverage rather than being asked to play off zone coverage or something like that. So that's really what a defensive coordinator's job is, is to take the talent that he has, right? And hopefully you can give him loads of talent and put those guys in a position to succeed. So we'll see if Ryan Nielsen can do that. We'll see what Jarvis has to say about upcoming Falcons training camp practices on tomorrow's episode. So continue to make Lockdown Falcons your first listen of course you can do so via youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts and for your second listen why not check out atl day ones part of the locked on sports atlanta podcast family with jarvis davis uh as part as your second listen so check it out it's all part of lockdown podcast network your team every day